Welcome to Inside Groove, the only motorsports show where super modifieds are king, methanol is aromatic, and the drivers carry their balls in a bag. Inside Groove is powered by IPC Indy, creating performance parts and solutions for the automotive, aerospace, and communications industries. Here's your host and fellow superholic, Race Chaser Media's Tom Baker. Welcome, everyone, to episode, I think this is 41 now, of the uh, Inside Groove podcast, uh, Super Modified podcast, and of course, presented as always by Jeff West and the fine folks at Indie Performance Composites, ipcindy.com is their website. Uh, go check them out and uh, see what they have to offer, and also want to uh, say a special uh, hello to our uh, two other large supporters, Skip's Fish Fry out of Oswego, Sean Cathcart and the staff, and also to JNS Paving, Paving, Rich Worth and his uh, staff. Uh, we really appreciate their support of the show, and you'll be hearing from a couple of other Ace Chaser Media sponsors as we get going and normally i would start out with our usual sort of fun chatter about the number 41 and we start thinking about well who's driven that number in a swig over the years and just tease our brains a little bit and have some fun but uh, we're going to preempt that to a little later in the show because as uh as i kind of let the cat out of the bag a couple of days ago we have a very very special guest on this episode uh, a driver that i've looked up to and uh just thought so much of for so many years now as have all, a lot of you uh bentley warren has been kind enough to join us on this week's episode and bentley want to welcome you to the program it is great to have you on and i will start by uh asking how you are doing i understand you and lisa are out in california right now and uh I suppose there are probably worse places to be in a very tough situation that uh, the country's going through. Yeah, we're in a beautiful spot out here in Indio, California. It's, uh, it's what they call a campground, but it's a very high-class campground. Um, I call it a campground. It's really a uh, resort. It's a Desert Shores resort, a happy resort. It's beautiful out here. I've got a lot of friends, a lot of people we've met, a lot of race fans, um, and racing people, Jim McGee being the biggest star oh, of all wow. of them, is right here, and he visits us every day. But well, we visit him, and we go to coffee in the morning. It's just a great place to be, and it's you know hopefully we're staying safe. Yeah, that's uh, we wish that for everybody that uh, is listening to this. I hope all of you and your families are remaining safe and doing what uh, is necessary to get through this period. Uh, seems like there is a little bit of um, uh, of light at the end of the tunnel here. Uh, so hopefully uh, we'll all be kind of back to normal soon. Uh, but in the meantime, I wanted to talk with you, Bentley. First of all, uh, we'll do some kind of jumping around in time uh, during this interview a little bit. But the main reason that I wanted to bring you on this week, um, Howard Purdy, a longtime owner of the immortal Little Deuce, uh, passed away. And, of course, uh, just here, I think, last night or, or maybe a couple of days back, um, Jerry Kanoff, who you also raced for the white 21 car back in the 60s um left us as well so i uh, want to talk first about uh well let's let's kind of do this in order let's talk about jerry a little bit because i think you drove for him before you drove for howard didn't you back in the 60s 
Uh, no, actually, I think I was driving for Howard, and I got in a bad wreck at Oswego, and the car got bent up quite a bit, and uh, I broke some ribs. And Howard wanted to stay out for a few weeks to let me patch my ribs up. But Jerry got a hold of me and asked me, and I said, no, I'm going to be driving for Howard. Kind of a funny story. And uh, I said, but let me call him. And he said, because Jerry said, well, I don't think he's going to race for a few weeks. And um, so I called Howard, and he was very nice about it and said, no, he said, I'm not going to race for a few weeks, and you need to rest up because you've got broken ribs. You know, you hurt yourself. And being very thoughtful and a great guy. So, uh, I uh, I didn't I didn't um for Howard but I called Jerry back and told him I'd like to race for him and uh he um he uh you know said yes and I went out and I think Wayne Landon was running the car at the time and um I uh I drove the car for him that week and I think we finished second and we won one or two and we finished second one or something like that and then I can't remember what all happened, but then I drove Howard again. Okay. But they were both great teams. So you actually were driving for Howard after the accident, as a result of the accident, which was that the one with Jack, was it Jack Greedy, where you both just popped the wall, or was this a different, uh, a different? This was a warm-up, it was a warm-up accident. Okay. Uh, I was running, I was practicing, and uh, somebody blew a motor in front of me. Ooh. <laughs> and there's a neat picture in my museum, uh, Somebody blew a motor in front of me, and I backed into the wall, and the car got bent up pretty bad and flipped, and I broke my hand or something. I can't oh. remember. Screwed up a couple of things and broke my ribs, and um, ended up spending the night in the hospital. I woke up in the hospital the next day, and uh, you know, knocked me out and all that junk. And then, um, then I you know, and there's a picture I got on my in my museum, and I didn't even realize until I put the picture up in my museum because I was putting pictures up for all the race cars, little race cars, model race cars that people gave me, and I had and um, had the deuce in there. I had the 21 in there, and I looked at the picture, and here's the deuce backing of the wall. It's up in the air with my arm hanging out the window. Oh, wow. And, it over, and the 21 cars going by me never hit me. Oh. <laughs> Which was a miracle. I'm like, wow. wow. And then I ended up driving the 21 car the next week. That's it's funny how things work out like that, isn't it? That's uh, yeah. That's it's, it's a weird it's a weird picture. I I explain it to people when they come in to my museum to look at you know some of the stuff. I say here's kind of a unique picture showing the cars. You know, they get a little sponsor with all the cars in it and stuff. So it's it's neat. What was it like driving the the Deuce? I mean, I guess we can kind of transition to the Deuce a little bit. Um, what was it like driving that car? I mean, you you obviously were aware, uh, I'm sure, of of the potential of the car before you got in it. And and what was it like to actually be able to have the opportunity to race that car? And looking back, what are your thoughts about that period of time for you now? I, I was like when Howard called me up and asked me to drive the car. I was in my Oh my God! I was in awe. I was like, "What do I do?" You know, and I want to drive it naturally. And um, I went out to race it, and uh, I was practicing. <laughs> I remember practicing before the green flag came out, and I was so darn nervous. My foot was going up and down on the throttle. I was trying to keep my foot steady so I didn't break, break a drive shaft. I was so, you know, it was such an immortalized car, and I was just like, "Oh my God! I'm really driving this." Is this Bentley in this car and all that stuff? <laughs> and um, but then once once the green flag came out, I was fine. But 
it was like I was so intimidated by the car and Howard, Rick Klein, and Ray and Bob and the whole crew. You know, it was it was just it was a wonderful thing to drive. And Howard was such a great man. What, what do you no, I, talk talk about Howard a little bit? What was he like as a car owner? And um, I know you made friends everywhere you went, so I'm sure you guys were great friends. But what was he like as a man and as a car owner to race for? Uh, he was. He always, all he cared about was winning, and he wanted he wanted that car to go fast, and he worked harder on the car than you know most car owners ever did, and uh, he was just at the racetrack. He was determined to make the car go faster, and he'd actually why isn't the car going back? I remember him asking this, what what's wrong with what? Why can't you go faster, Bentley? And I said, gee whiz. Um, I don't know. I thought we were going pretty good. Well, that was not an answer for Howard Purdy. Well, why can't you get going into the corner faster? Why can't you come out of the corner faster? Why can't you go through the corner faster? What what's, what's slowing you down? He made you concentrate on what the car was doing. And he'd ask you, then he'd be changing the car around. I remember Fritz Klein said, Bentley said, you're the fastest. Fritz always used to sit on the left front tire because he's a big guy. And um, I said, you know, I'm, I'm like in, looking like in, in wonder. Why why is he pushing me to my car go fast? I thought I was going pretty good. And so I'm answering these changing tires for stagger and this and that. And then he, he'd try to make the car go faster all the time. And Fritz said, you're the fastest car on the track by three tenths of a second or something like that. He said, but that's just how it, he wants to go faster. And he worked and thrived to make the car go faster. And it was just he was just a great guy to drive for, but it made you really concentrate on your driving ability. You know what I mean? On your not your ability, but concentrate on how to make the car go faster. Why aren't I going faster? That's so. that's interesting. I mean it it and at that point in your career was that sort of a bit of a a revelation for you to, to as far as having teaching you to to really feel the car and think about the car a little more or was yes it, yeah it, it was and it's funny because then i met mario andretti i was driving skip matzik's car and i went to a car show in connecticut and it was in 69 i believe it was 69 when mario won the indy 500 he was a guest and i was a guest and mario said Bentley, in his Italian accent, it's all about concentration. You must concentrate on what the automobile is doing in the corner so you can relate it to the crew. Now, he was so correct, you know. Yeah. That's exactly what Howard Purdy has been getting out of me in a different way. So it was just, you know, the two of them were just so right on and made me be much more on my game. You were so young at the time, relatively speaking, you know, obviously, um, to have had the opportunity to race that race the deuce and and to work with Howard, um, were you able to take the knowledge that you gained out of that and kind of transfer it forward to even your your IndyCar period that followed shortly after that? Uh, yes, everything everything I learned from Howard was really uh, influential in my driving ability and then it was it also influenced me and when i did stop driving or didn't stop driving but when i got hurt so badly in ohio and i started a business 
made me realize how to run a business also by the concentration, by doing it properly. Focusing on the details. But yeah, just paying attention and how can I make how can I make the business better? Makes you competitive. Absolutely, yeah, I'm sure. Um, what a what a time that was. It seems like I mean, I didn't. I was I wasn't born until '67, so I didn't start going till '73 to Oswego. But boy, what a time it seems like that was. Right at the tail end of the '60s, um, you know, around the time you would be driving the Deuce, the the competition. Uh, you had Todd Gibson coming in with his ex Indy Roadster. Just such a variety, and so many drivers from so many different places that were so competitive. Talk a little bit about what it was like to be at Oswego in that time period. Um, it was it was very very competitive, and I remember um, just driving the car and, and you know the, the intimidation uh, thing of, of going to Oswego. The first time I went, I I looked at the track and I walked across you know through the pit gate, and I looked to the left and I thought, wow, it's a long track. And I looked down to the right going. Look down Toward at turn, turn one. one. Yeah. Like, oh my God! This this must be like Indianapolis. It's so big. <laughs> I'd never driven anything that large. I was like, wow! It was very intimidating. And I, you know, heard about people that had won there and this and that. And then just a couple of years later, getting to be able to compete with these people was like, oh my God! I can't believe it. You know. What a thrill! And and ended up yeah. winning the classic in the Deuce. What what, yep. do you, what do you remember about that? Um, I remember pacing myself and saying, I can win almost every, up until that time I was winning a lot of 45 lap features, or quite a few, I think. And it was hard to do. You were driving your, your butt off, and the car had to work well. But it was 45 lap feature, and I used to sit in the rear most of the time because we were always running quite well the week before and stuff like that. And uh, I said, if I just keep myself in position at 45 lots left or 50 lots left, I should be able to win this race. And that's what I did. I kind of paced myself. I, I went as fast as I could without destroying the car, the tires, the engine, you know, making it heat up. And I did that, and that's how I won the race with, you know, with Howard Purdy's uh, advice and everything that he taught me. You know what I mean? It was just, yeah. It was, we were a fantastic uh, team. It's it, yeah, really. I I mean, I wish I were old enough to have experienced that firsthand because the, those years uh, from say sixty eight, sixty nine to seventy three, when I started going, there was uh, just some magic there, and um, I can only just imagine what it was like for you to actually cross the finish line, take the checkered flag, and realize I just won the classic. It was like, oh my god! I mean, I, I look at the picture. I get a picture hanging on the wall. Um, of me in the car in the deuce, and the smile on my face you you couldn't you couldn't pay for that smile you couldn't pay millions of dollars for that smile yeah. so from my heart from my like wow and now what what led you to indy what what was the transition from from that period to uh to indianapolis well howard Purdy's car made my name really really good and, uh, you know, winning the classic, winning races with his car, 
We went to Heidelberg, Pennsylvania. We won there. We won some other tracks. Um, and then uh, Skip Matzek put me in his sprint car, and I won in that at a couple of tracks. I think Poconos and a few other places. And uh, that won pavement mostly. Yeah. And um, he knew the mechanic for Tassie Battis. And he uh, hooked me up with Tassie Battis. And uh, that's how I got to Indy. Tassie gotcha. Battis the only Indy car that I drove. So it was really Skip Matzik that uh, opened the door for you and made that key connection to be able to allow you to go and, and give Indy a shot. Yeah. And they saw and uh, P.Y., they called him. Paul Young was the mechanic that was uh, Cassie's mechanic when he had midgets in New York and Connecticut. And he saw me run the Modified at Thompson, Connecticut in the Thompson 500. And that's the car that Howard Purdy actually helped me build. Oh. Howard, uh, he, he, didn't, he didn't physically help me build it. But I'd call him up with questions uh, when I was building it about where to put the engine, where to, you know, I was trying to make it like a super modified, but with a body on it. And that's what we did. And the car was very fast. And uh, he helped me with it. And, well, Paul Young saw me drive it at Thompson, and I was leading the race before we broke by a couple of laps. It was a 500-lap race. And uh, it was just, you know, that that opened his eyes up so he could talk to Tassie Battis, who owned the Indy car that I drove the first couple of years at Indy and getting to Indy again, you're, you're still young and, and this is sort of the, I feel like you got to Indy just at almost the, just before the dawn of the modern era where it was big money and sponsorship and all of that. You were kind of right at the beginning of that. I feel like, is that accurate? And, and what was that like? I know you detail it in your book and I want everybody to go buy Bentley's book because if you haven't read it yet, first of all, um, it's fall down funny in a lot of spots. Uh, and, and it's just a tremendously well-written book. It's called wicked fast and you can get it at coastal One Eighty One publishing. Um, but um, you, what was that like for you to get to Indy and realize at, at, at a young age, I have literally reached the top of the sport? Um, well, that's another thing. It was like getting into the deuce. I couldn't believe I was there. I yeah. walked through Gasoline Alley, and I had that Gasoline Alley sign over my head, and it was winter time with Bill Finley, the mechanic. He picked me up at the airport, and I was going to sit in the in an Indianapolis 500 race car like another wow is yeah. this really me i gotta squeeze myself right i gotta pinch myself and see if i say ow because <laughs> it was like you know, it was just so many wonderful things happened to me in my in my life and like you said in the book uh phones bushy got it all out of me or a lot of it out of me when he wrote the book he did a heck of a he did do a he good did. job of writing it really did yeah, I mean, and, and, I, and I really, I, I'm trying to sort of avoid just sort of going through the book again. I'm really more interested in kind of um, some of the the backstories on, on things. And, and, you know, you, 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 you gave Indy and Indy cars 
um, the best shot that you can possibly give it, given your your situation, and and really never quite had that necessarily elite opportunity to, um, you know, to to run to the front and not have to worry about stretching dollars, uh, and and where where you and and I sort of intersect is when you came back to Oswego, and I was fascinated to read in the book that um, that Dave Snyder called you and, and was thinking about buying the Swift car, and you said, yeah, it's a good car, and and, <laughs> and the next question is, so you want to drive it? And it's like, well, yeah, sure, why not, right? Uh, you know, that, that's, that was a, a really interesting, again, you're coming back to, you know, it, Oswego kept going while you were at Indy, and, and new guys came in, and more guys got competitive, and you're coming back in a car that, you know, that obviously you hadn't driven, um, but yet... You know, it was almost like the rebirth of your career in some ways. Yeah, it was, you know, it was so much fun to come back to Oswego. Oswego was the place that made my name, made me Howard Berry and Oswego. And um, I just want to get off the subject of of Howard Berry and the thing. Luckily, last year, Lisa and I were coming back from Indianapolis, and we called Mary Purdy, and um, she didn't call me back until a couple of days later because it was on a, uh, a recording thing she had on her phone. And we were already in Rochester, New York, in a rest area. And we stopped, spent the night, and she called me. And uh, fortunately, we went back, and he was, Howard was in a nursing home. Oh. But we, had a, we, we went over there with the camper. We walked from a Walmart parking lot. It was like a mile and a half or something. Lisa and I walked up to see Howard. And... We had a wonderful, probably two or three hour visit with Howard, his son, and uh, and Mary. It was just, it was so much fun. And at first, he didn't remember who I was because I looked so darn old. I said, "Well, Howard, I thought old." <laughs> and and uh, he was sitting there, but he had, he was being very cordial, but didn't remember. Then Mary explained who I was, and oh my God, the the smile on his face and the stories that he started telling about some of the races that we were in that we wrecked or that we won and how we won them and how we wrecked and won. And it was just, it was so much fun. I just, I went, I went away from that, from that visit with Howard and Mary and everybody. And I was just so enlightened. So, so my heart was lifted so much by talking to him for a, a few hours. Can you can you tell us uh, one or two of those stories for us? Because I I was kind of going to do a little bit of a you know let's let's get through some 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 points of your career and then come back at the end to now and and w- you know what you think about when you look back. But that I'm glad that you you got ahead of me and did it for me. So let's let's go there. Can you tell one or two stories about uh, your time with Howard that that maybe a lot of folks don't know? I think one was we raced uh, Flamborough on a. I don't know what night, a Friday night or a Saturday night, and we went to Heidelberg, Pennsylvania on Sunday. And I think we, I can't remember if we won the race at um, Flamborough or we finished second. We went in the pits, and it was a paved track and paved pits, but they had a lot of pea stone, and the tires were hot, and it picked up a piece of pea stone, went into the uh, injector, and, but, you know, didn't do anything, just... Well, like I said, we finished first or second, and if we finished second, I think Warren Conium won it. Okay. Or, but he, he might have he might have been second. But I think he did win it. And um, 
I had oil pressure. The oil pressure was low in the car, so we went back to John Hill's house in Syracuse area. And uh, I remember how I tipped the car on its side, pulled the bearings out, and John went down to a pot store, and he couldn't find it, but he got some used rod bearings and Howard Curtis 4x4 Chevy, put the used bearings in, and uh, we didn't start it there. We went to Heidelberg that that day and raced that next day, I think it was. First first lap, I go out to, I warm the motor up a little bit. First lap, I put my foot in the throttle. That piece of piece stone stuck in the butterfly and um, throttle. It stuck wide over the hill. It hit the kill switch, but it sent all the butterflies, and I tried to pull it up with my foot. And Howard was talking about that because he had to sense all the butterflies and all that, and then we went out and won the race. Oh, wow. And Heidelberg, and it was, Rat Lane was there, and just a whole bunch of guys from down south and, you know, four-wheel drive cars and stuff. It was just, it was quite a race to win. And uh, there was some USAC sprint car owners there and stuff like that because that was big sprint car territory at that time. Okay. So he and Howard remembered that, that story explicitly. Then another one, when we flipped the car in a practice, I think, and I think I hit oil that day and went over the fence, and I can't remember if he fixed the car or something. He, he remembered all those stories, and they were so, he remembered so vividly. And, you know, it was just, it was such a fun day. I really, I, I was so happy to see him and Mary and just have the talking for my girlfriend, Lisa, to, you know, visit with us, you know, and yeah. meet how and everything. She was excited also. It's really, uh, I mean, to be able to go back like that, I'm sure for you now, uh, to be able to, to go back and, and see those people again, you know, who were so important to you so many decades ago. I mean, what a what a blessing it is to still be able to do that after all this time and, you know, have them be in, 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 the, in good enough health to be able to have those conversations and remember those days, right? Oh, it, it is. It's, it's, it's so exciting because you're sort of reliving your past, but you're, you're doing it with people that remember it better than you did. And when they're saying it, it's like, oh, holy Christ, you're putting this, all this stuff together with just fun. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. I mean, you you ran the deuce. Did now back then? I mean, you you mentioned Heidelberg and you mentioned Pocono earlier. Um, you, the supers used to run. Uh, did did you did the supers ever run the big track or was it mostly the three quarter mile that they ran there? It was it was a three quarter mile track. Okay, yeah. They came out onto the uh, middle of the front straightaway. I think we yeah, the. I think it was the middle of the front straightaway, and then went back into turn one near the start finish line but back into the infield again okay uh it was was a three-quarter mile track it was a fast track and uh i think i drove swifty's car down there once i think we won with that too oh okay i remember you drove it was it stafford i think you won a race with swifty there um i think stafford or Thompson or somewhere, I remember. Uh, I feel yeah, like. Yeah, I think we might have won. We won Thompson, too, I think. Once. Okay, yeah. I, think, I don't know. Stafford Springs, maybe. Yeah, I think I was, I I was thinking it was Stafford, but yeah, you were in. That was back in 68 or 69, too. I mean, 
what a yep. what a period you were a part of. I mean, with 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 guys like Howard and Swifty, and of course Jimmy was just kind of coming into his own. But you had Gibson and Andrews and Greedy and all those all those people, and and of course Jerry, uh, you ran. Um, you know, as you mentioned earlier, what do you remember about Jerry and and running for Jerry? I don't think did you only run for him for a sh- just that short time? Yes, yeah, a few weeks. Yeah, three or four, probably three weeks or something like that. And uh, they were fun. They were fun. They were great guys, and they were so happy that we did win. We went to New Hampshire and we won. We won Oswego, I think, on a Saturday night. We drove all night and went to um, Loud, uh, New Hampshire, Loud Speedway, it was called. Oh, Briar Speedway then, and they had a half-mile track. Oh. And uh, I think they had three features. One of uh, Russ Conway's um, races that he put together who just passed this last year. And um, we won, I think we won all, it was three, I think we won all three to start with the first one by where you drew, and then they inverted the other two. And I think we won all three of them in, in the North Brothers car. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So almost that was kind of a period where about every car you got in, it seemed like you had success. Did what? And so that was a period of time where it seemed like about every super you got in, you had success. Yeah, actually I did. And, and you know, I was fortunate because evidently I was a fairly good driver. And so I, I got into good cars. It wasn't <laughs> like I got into an sure. ran car. And it was, you know, kind of neat to just have the opportunity to – be able to drive the better of the of the field of cars. Uh, I'm I'm happy you mentioned Russ because you know again you know he another gentleman who just graced us for so many decades with his presence in the sport and and uh, I was asked specifically a couple of days ago when I uh, first announced that we were going to have you on the show somebody texted me and said you need to get Bentley to talk a little bit about Russ so. Um, while we're kind of at that point in the conversation and you brought him up, uh, I'm sure you've got more than a couple stories about Russ Conway that you could tell. Oh, my God. He was just, he, he did so much for auto racing. It's just people don't even realize. Like, bringing the limited supers to Oswego. He, uh, he, he's the one that really worked hard to get them to go to Oswego. And they, look at the show they put on. Yeah. And, uh, it may, maybe might be a little bit of a transition for us. We go to get into some less expensive um, supers rather than the, you know, $150,000 car. It might be something that they are going to go into those $10,000 cars like Eddie Whitcomb and uh, his nephew drove, you know, uh, Randy, I think his name is. Yep. And, you know, just it's just neat to see that, you know. And Russ Conway is the guy that's done so much for auto racing and so much for auto racers and, I mean, other sports. I mean, like Johnny Busick called me, I don't know, two days ago just to say hi and all that stuff. And uh, he just, you know, we always, we always talk about Russ, and Russ is the reason I met Johnny and uh, Bobby Orr and Wayne Cashman and all those guys. And, uh, you know, he just, he did so much for everybody. I was talking to Russ Wood because I called him up because he was driver of the year for uh, for some group, and Kenny Schrader presented me with, presented him with a trophy and award, and uh, I called him up to congratulate him. And I told him, "Gee, it really sucks not being able to call 
Rush Conway to get your number. I had to, <laughs> I don't know how to use, you know, like an email thing, but I had to get on my web, on his website for his Woody trucking company or towing company, Woody's Garage, yeah. to get his phone number. That's how I got a hold of him. Okay. <laughs> but usually I just call Rush and then we talk about racing, about people and about this and about that. Now just, it kind of, it's crappy. And another guy we watched two days ago was Eddie West. Yes, yes. Yeah, yeah. I had that in my notes to mention. Yeah. Yeah, you raced. Yeah. Now, you, I'm sure you probably raced with Eddie more in some of your early days, but then you, of course, went to Oswego, and Eddie never really migrated that way too much. Uh, but w- what do you remember about racing with Eddie? He was just, he was a great racer. And and better than his racing, he was a wonderful man. You know, another wonderful man. And, you know, he, he, Lee Allen and I used to race together at um, Hudson Pines, Westboro, and places like that, Star Speedway. And uh, it's just, they were great guys. And it's probably every year, Lee Allen, and up until Lee Allen passed a few years ago, he used to come up and he'd pick up Eddie West, and the three of us would, you know, go around the saloon and have lobster have a beer or something and uh, then go over to my museum look at that and you know now they're, they're all unfortunately everybody's dying because we're all getting down old <laughs> well you're keeping yourself pretty young from what i understand uh you know i think it's great that uh you're you're doing everything you're doing because it it keeps you tuned in the life and keeps you moving and all of that but yeah it is it's and that's one of the you know I've, one of the reasons that uh, i brought this show back uh this of course was the original show that i started in oswego back in the early 90s and um i brought it back as a podcast because i wanted to interview some of the the legends of of super modified racing and and uh you know, for just that reason, because I I feel like um, you know that the first of all I love talking to all you guys because I loved I I I constantly go through old programs I constantly am talking about the the seventies and you know in 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 that sort that era um, and you know what's interesting for me is to to learn more about well okay I grew up in Oswego but there was Star there was Sandusky you know super modified racing was so big then uh, I feel like um and and there was this whole sort of big outside world going on that you know that uh guys like Russ uh <coughs> excuse me and Eddie West were a part of that that I only got to read you know in, about in in speed sport news or whatever because you know, obviously too young to travel at that point. Um, but so getting to, to, to hear about Eddie from someone like you is, is awesome. And, and Eddie, and, it, and it's interesting for me too, cause I ha- actually wanted, I had Lee Howard written in my notes because you, um, you ran modifieds for him a couple of times, but if I remember right, and, and, and you can, you obviously will correct me if I'm wrong, but if I remember right, Lee Howard was somehow involved with, uh, was it Frank Bartel um, and, and Mike Mazur, um, that whole sort of uh, snafu kind of beginning? Um, am, am, I, am, am I remembering that wrong, that Lee was somehow a part of that? Yeah. Um, actually, Lee, when I, when I built my first Super Modified with Jimmy Carter, it was 1962 or three. Okay. And uh, we had won the championship in the 
in the what they call the Class Bs, which is the junk, is a 49 Ford, yeah. just a piece of junk. But we'd won the championship at both tracks with quite a few features, and we made enough money. And, you know, times were very lean back then to build the first Super Modified that we had. And at that time, we thought, and Eddie Perkins helped us, who was a great mechanic and car builder and stuff like that. And uh, we, had, we, had, we had, you know, this help from them. And so we went up to Frank and Bill Bartels, where Lee Allen was having a car built for himself. And they built five cars or something that year. Frank Conway, Eddie West, um, Lee Allen, and I can't remember a couple others. That I think they built four or five. And we went up there. We thought... We, I said, what building a hell of a race car? This thing is like really beautiful with using a disc grinder to grind the the brackets uh, down for the, you know, to make them look really nice. Yeah. We go up there, and these guys had bridge ports and all this stuff. I looked at the car, went home, I was like, oh my God. <laughs> we're, building, we're building a dinosaur compared to what they're building. But we ended up running very well with that car, too. But Lee Allen uh, ran a race. In, in one of those cars at Westboro, and they had, I don't know if this was a Russ Conway race or not, I think it probably was, because the first week you went there and you drew, so I drew a good starting spot, you know, might have been on the pole or fourth or third or second or whatever, in the top ten cars, I'm sure, to start. And the next week it went back on a Wednesday, and they inverted the field, and that was always a Russ Conway Gig because he wanted to have the fast cars in the rear to put on a show right. for the spectators. And uh, we went out and won the second show, and, and uh, both times Lee Allen was the guy that I had to try to beat. Oh, wow. And uh, he, he he took his hat off to me for for beating him in that, you know, because he, he was impressed with my driving. And, you know, he was a very prominent businessman at that time. He had a paving business in Hudson, New Hampshire. And he was a great guy, and he was somebody that, you looked up to because his racing name was big. His racing moves that you saw him racing on the racetrack were so good. So we just, you know, another, another neat story. Yeah. Well, and again, how everybody it's, you know, it's a small world and everybody kind of connects one way or another eventually. And I just remember, um, in your book, how you talked about, um, as it got toward, you know, a little bit later on, um, and the newer, um, Mazer Allegresso built, uh, built cars, you know, the, the, the workmanship. And I mean, those cars were just beautiful race cars and, and obviously yeah. ran like the wind. But, um, I remembered that you raced for Lee and I had thought that there was kind of more to it. And, and again, it's neat for me to, to, to hear the backstory. You, I remember you running Lee's modified a few times at Oswego. And, um, I remember thinking, and I thought, uh, your head was going to pop out through the roof because you were, you were so tall and a car built for a, a smaller guy, which uh, Jeff Bodine, I think at the time, right? Yeah, I, I did. I raced, uh, they had two cars and, uh, yeah. I drove one and Jeff drove the other. And uh, I just barely fit in the car. Yeah. And Lee said, Lee said later on, he said, if I know how good you were of a driver, he said, I would have changed the cockpit around so you fit in the thing. He said, you probably would have won some races for me. <laughs> but he was just, you know, he's such a, he was a very nice man. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you, you've, you had such a, uh, when, when I look back and, and you mentioned this in the book, you always seem to attract 
car owners that, as you called them, they were, they were very colorful. But I feel like no matter what their personality was, uh, I, I feel like the, the, the opportunities that you had and the way that they ran their operations, when you look back, how blessed were you to be able to have driven for uh, all of the, 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 the men and, and, and families that you raced for? Uh, and, and what a history. I mean, it literally reads like a who's who of, of, of short track racing car owners over the years. Yeah, I, I, I guess I was very fortunate, and maybe my personality brought some of their personalities out better or something. I don't know, or maybe theirs brought mine out better. But it seemed to, uh, you know, coagulate well. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, uh, and it's just, you know, all I can do is look back and say, and like people say, boy, I wish, you, wish you'd done this or that in racing. And I said, I've done everything I wanted to do. I met so many great people, darn, darn nice people, raced so many good, good race cars, won so many races, and the main thing I did is meet the people. And I still got friends from it and making new friends from it. See, it's, it's an awesome thing to be in. That's that's where I think, you know, and I feel the same way. Racing has always been about the relationships and the and, and the family aspect and the friendships that you develop. Um, but but what a obviously what a pleasure it was and a, an amazing thing for us to uh, especially me as a as a, a young kid in the 70s. And my brother was always a big fan of yours as well. Um, and and to be able to to watch you come back and and again that swift car and i and i wanted to ask you specifically about that for a minute because in the book you allude to the fact that when you first got a hold of the car you weren't happy with the handling and dave kane i think uh is the one that you said um suggested some changes to the car that that uh that really woke it up and i'm curious if you remember some detail about what what kano changed because that car went from, I mean, it was fast with Nolan, but it, it that car for you, once you made those changes uh, and put the, we love to call it the flying card table on the top of it, um, yeah. you know, um, what what were the changes and what, what made the difference for you with that car other than your big right foot? It was uh, Dave Kane, Kano, we called him Kano. Yeah. And he had the 01 car that I drove at Oswego. Dave Speed And we went very, very well with that car. And that car is the reason that Howard Purdy asked me to drive the Deuce. And that was on Ronnie Lux's um, behalf because Ronnie Lux said, you want to watch this Bentley? He's a good driver. He said, I've watched him in that 01 car. It's a good car, but he's getting everything out of the car that's there. And that's how I, I think Howard chose me to drive the car after gotcha um, you know ronnie was gone and when when i was driving it for him he had a couple other drivers that he liked but he got me in it and you know we really set up a great a great team it's it, well yeah i'm sure and and so when you got that car what did what did kano what was it that he changed that made such a difference do you remember was it was it a shot combination or what would you remember the details of any of that because boy that... yeah it was, it was it was mostly spring rates um, ah the, the torsion bars were just wrong in it uh and it might have been for a different driving style or it might have been for the wing setup when uh, richie evans had it he might have had a setup for the for the uh for that or maybe they had the car apart, and when Dave bought it, 
they might have thrown it together quickly yeah. and didn't really pay attention to what spring rates they put into what corner. And when Kano helped me with it, and Kano was a great guy for having no bind, no, he didn't like any kind of binds in, a, yeah. in the rear the rear of a chassis or the front. And uh, he just, the car started going like a, like a rat, you know, like really, really well. Yeah. Um, yeah, I remember you. I remember you came back and won the Port City. Been rained out like twice, and you you won that. Uh, and and that was the first time. I mean, like I was aware of you, obviously, just reading in the program and about you at Indy and all of that. But I was, you know, eight years old or whatever. And 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 seeing you come out with that car and pass, I was I was a Jimmy Champagne fan growing up. And just seeing you come out and do what you did that day, it was like, wow, this guy must be really good. And well, <laughs> I think I think the next uh, 20 30 years kind of proved that out but um it was amazing to watch and and you were always uh, the, lifting the left front was something that i think um you know everybody kind of knew you for back in those early days um you know what was what was it like to drive a car that way and actually be be picking the left front tire up what what was from inside the 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 cockpit what was that like i mean those cars were not sticking to the track really well back in those days so it must have been a a real thrill to be kind of taming the beast that way well it was it was just the way that we got we got the bite that we thought we needed and it made the car coming off the corner when you when you got in the gas, it made it really bite the back end, and and it uh, it just it, they always worked well. So the more just by putting more weight in the right front, put more weight in the left rear, and made the car have a better bite. And and at that time, you didn't know about the spring rates quite as much as you knew later on. And now the spring rates they they, well, they want all four cars, all four tires equally on the ground on the car to try to make it go into the corner better, through the corner better, and come out of the corner better. And Brian L. Gresser was a great one at that. And, uh, you know, just they've changed the, the way of thinking. But driving those cars with that left front of the ground, and then that's how I had driven. The, even, even my um, bomber, my 1949 Ford, I used to pick the left front off the ground just the way we had it set up. So it was just, it was my style, and it, it, fit, it fit my butt is what it did. It made my butt feel comfortable in the car. It's amazing to think about that, and and you know, of course, you you talk in your book about you know in in it, some of your later years, you you drove for some car owners where you know they were used to uh, kind of more of a finesse driving style, and you know, and and you were more kind of drive off the right rear or whatever, and 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 it, you know, it's it does make a difference. The setup matters, and the the crew chief matters, and you know, everything has to be right for a driver to to go out and be fast. And I, I thought you made a great point in the book. And I think you made it more than once when you said that, uh, you know, you can't always judge a driver, um, uh, you know, because sometimes it's not that the driver's not talented or can't win, but it may be the equipment and the situation. And if you put him in a, in a different situation, he becomes much faster and, and much better. There's, there's, there's hundreds of drivers out there that are probably better than me and better than other people that are winning races right now that can't get the opportunity to to get in a good car, to get the chemistry going between the driver of the car and the, and the uh, mechanic. You know, there's a chemistry has to be there, and Howard Purdy was a guy that could get that, make that chemistry work. He could stir the pot up and make the chemistry work and make the chemical good. And uh, other people the same way, too. And 
I learned that from Howard, and it probably helped me in future racing to be able to help with that chemistry. Now, I want to talk about a couple of drivers with you because, uh, again, I, I, I'm very respectful of your time, and, and, and I don't want to keep you a whole lot longer. Maybe at some point uh, we could do another one of these where we kind of focus more on some of the places you've seen and, and more of the people you've met. But I want to ask um, about a couple of specific drivers, and I'm going to start this by talking about a specific race because one of the one of the moments that stand out for me in all the years that i've been going to oswego happened in 1987 and it was the mr supermodified event you and doug hevron were driving and racing at at a at an intensity and a level that i feel like i don't know that i'd ever seen before that moment um and and you could almost tell that the two of you were were pushing each other to the limit and you know doug uh we had doug on the show a while back and and doug talked about how you know he would go into the corner and, and you know and then you go into the corner harder and he'd be like bentley you f-, you know um you know it's like and you're trying to to push each other what do you remember about that race and about the moment of the two of you kind of collapsing on the track because i think that's just one of those iconic nights from oswego's history that i think everybody who got to witness it will never forget yeah it was it was an exciting race and we were we were both driving our butts off and i'm sure if we didn't have a uh, full face helmet on you see all you see is teeth smiling because we were just I, i i know for myself i was having so much fun that i was just I had this big crap-eating grin on my face, and he had the same thing on his face because we were so excited to be running so well. And it was kind of funny because I was driving the Flying Five, and he was driving the 61 Junior, and then we hit that oil and crashed like like a crazy crash. You know, so wonder we didn't hurt ourselves more yeah. than we did. And uh, it was just, it was just, we were having so much fun. You were, uh, as as the story goes, you were both laying on the track in pain and kind of looked at each other and just started laughing. I mean, that's, yep. <laughs> you know, yep. and that's that's kind of one of those moments where you realize, you know, two, two good friends, you know, that could find some humor and some amazement in a really, really devastating moment, right? Because, um, you know, through the pain, you were still able to uh, – to, to look over each other and laugh about that. That's pretty amazing. And I also want to, I want to ask you to talk about Doug a little bit because, you know, of course you developed that sort of big brother relationship with him um, when he was yeah. very young. And, you know, we see Tyler Thompson now as sort of being, um, you know, maybe the, the, the current version of, of Doug. Um, but, but what was it like for you to, first of all, be able to help Doug and Indy, but then, the relationship that developed. Talk about uh, talk about that time. Uh, well, you mean when we went to Indy? Well, yeah, sure. We could start there because I think isn't that when you really sort of de- started to develop that close friendship was in that time period, or did that actually happen before? Uh, no, we we'd been friends. I mean, we had that bicycle race, and we were laughing about oh. that. I won. <laughs> yeah, I, I won kind of dirtily because he was passing me, and I. <laughs> Said, screw you! You ain't passing me. I kicked his bike as he was going by, and it was kind of funny. And but he was coordinated enough and you know skillful enough to keep the bike up. But I said, "You son of a bitch! You ain't beat me." <laughs> <laughs> and uh, 
You know, whatever you had to do to win, you did. But we we used to laugh about that a lot. And he just became a good friend of mine. And uh, then uh, when he did go to Indy, I, I went to Indy to give him a little hand because I knew some of the things that had to be done, a little bit of the driving, um, you know, getting into the corners, getting through the corners, and how to concentrate and all that stuff. And then he ended up breaking his leg. So when he broke his leg, he was going to come back and run supers, but he broke his leg and he couldn't. So his dad asked me to drive the car. Yeah. And it was just, it was like, oh, my God, what a race car. Yeah. You know, it was just it was tremendous, and, and the crew, you know, Tom Tom being the, the uh, business operator that he was, had all the, all the people in the right places and all the parts and his checklists and everything, and, you know, working with Rick and, and uh, you know, just everybody, Mike and all them. More. It was just so much fun. And uh, then, then Doug and I got to be friendly, and then, you know, because I was going, I won a couple of races, and I remember Mort told me, he says, I was being careful with the car. It was such a good car. And he said, drive this thing like you haven't got a penny invested in it. Just if you hit the fence, you hit the fence. We'll fix the damn thing. <laughs> so I started driving like that, and that's when I started winning. Yeah. And uh, then they kept me in the car, and um, it was just, it was it was a fun, fun ride. Well, you and Doug. And friendship. You and Doug still see each other now and then, right? I mean, get together and ride bikes and, and that kind of thing? Yeah, not enough. Um, I call him every once in a while. He's hard to get a hold of, but I call him every once in a while, and uh, we um, we just talk about racing, about families, and about this and that and everything else. Yeah. He came up to Maine one year, um, and he rode, and he stayed in the, I can't remember if he stayed at the house or in the campground or where, but we had a great time. He and his wife came up. It was, it was a lot of fun. He, uh, yeah, you and he were that 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 relationship was was just amazing to watch. Again, as a fan, to be able to observe that, and then uh, later on, I think the other race that I'll never forget um, that that you you ran was actually when you came came in to run the classic in 1998 for Jeff West, and and that was a situation where um, you would you, you would run his car a few times prior to that for points and past seasons or whatever, but. Weren't sure you really wanted to race the thing, right? And then, and then you decided to, and it was—I don't want to say last minute, but it was late in the process before Classic, and you end up winning the thing. Talk about that, and talk about Jeff a little bit. Yeah, it was just—it was, it was that was another fun deal, and I got into a great race car, and he had his new car, and um, when when we went out practice that morning, he he did everything I I wanted to have done to the race car. He changed, you know springs wings anything that i asked him i told him what the car was doing he was he's a very clever car builder and i mean you look at the yep. company he's got out in indianapolis oh, yeah. now you know how what a successful businessman he is so that's all attributed to how he handled himself on the track and building his cars and all that and uh he did all the changes i asked and i went out and practiced that morning with a full fuel load and he said how's the car going i said i can win this race i said I don't. I have no doubt that I can't win this race if I stay out of trouble and the car doesn't break. And sure as heck, we did. And it was. It was. It was. You know, that was the last class I won. But it was such an exciting one because people didn't expect me to win riding up on a old Harley with my little helmet on. And I rode my Harley down to uh, um, Vic Miller's shop and threw my bag in there with my helmet and fire suit, gloves and shoes. He brought it up the track, and then I rode my bike up there, and, you know, we just had a heck of a weekend. 
I think we celebrated for about almost a week after that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can't imagine uh, you not celebrating a win for for that long. Uh, you know, you 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 got to the point at the end of, toward the end of your career where you were more disciplined before the race in terms of all of that. But boy, if you won after it was over, you made up for it, right? <laughs> yep, yep. <laughs> yeah, we had a ball. We had, we had a good time and. You know, he's been a good friend, he and his wife both, and now the kids. And yeah. another thing that Russ Conway helped with, with is the hockey with, with his kid, you know, two sons. So uh, it's just, it's, it's, it's been a wonderful thing for everybody, you know, it's just really neat. Tell me what Bentley Warren's life is like now. What what uh, what, what we know. We, I want. We'll talk about the saloon in a minute. But you you have the saloon. But you you just do a lot of travel, basically, right? Just. When, when, when I want to, when you want to go, you just go. Yeah, we just we get the camper, and I get the bike on the back of the camper, and we throw it. You know, we we get ready to go somewhere. We load the bike on the back on the lift, lift it up, chain it down, and we go go down the road, hundred miles, a thousand miles, two thousand miles, and unload it someplace and ride around for a day or two or three or four or five, get back in and go again. We ride the bike every day. And I love that, and I still ride it like I'm 16, being stupid, <laughs> foolish that I am. And, uh, you know. Somebody said modern-day Marlboro Man, and I, I stole that because it, it just seems to fit. <laughs> <laughs> you know? um, so let's talk about the saloon because that was um, – I, I want to make sure people, our audience, anybody who doesn't know about it, I want to make sure they know what it is. And I mean, I have not had the pleasure of being able to be there. I'm going to try at some point to get there this year because I really want to come up. Um, I'm down in the Charlotte area now, so it's, it's a hike, but I want to get up there and see it. Um, what, tell, tell us about Bentley's saloon. About what now? About, about the your, your saloon? You, yes. yes. No, that's what I was just. Tell us about Bentley Saloon. Oh, it's just a, it's a bar that I uh, kind of built. I bought this little uh, crap old bar out in front of my house, and uh, I owned the land abutting it. And I just started off helping the guy. And my wife at the time had lost her son, so I bought it for her to try to get her mind off of her terrible, you know, loss. Uh, he got killed on a motorcycle. And I ended up, she really didn't want to be involved with the bar that, as much as I did. And I wanted to make it something, if, we, if I owned it, I said, I'm going to try to make it nice and good and, you know, all that. Typical how I did things, thanks to Howard Purdy making me do things right. So uh, I I bought it and I built, built it up and then just kept adding to it and adding to it. And now it's the biggest biker bar probably on the East Coast. Um, and it's it's not just a biker bar. Everybody goes there, as you know. The the past president uh, George Bush Senior, he used to come every year for the last three or four years till he passed. He and Barbara both, and uh, wow, he used to come to the museum and he used to have a couple of beers and have some lobster stew or dinners with you know his daughter and his security and just it's it's a fun place. You see these big mucho bikers with their tattoos and their you know big big guys, and you see. Some boat guy, you know, some boat guys from down Kenny Bookport come up and they just enjoy the place. They enjoy the music, fun, and looking at the different uh, phases of life that everybody's living. And it's it's fun for me to sit back in a corner sort of and look and say, how the heck did we put this whole thing together? And Lisa's been a big asset and a lot of people that work there and have helped me with other things. 
It's it's amazing to have that, and uh, I know obviously uh, right now with the, what's going on in the country, you're uh, you're you're kind of down, but um, you know I'm sure we'll be back up here soon. And uh, it's just it's become really a, a almost a destination for a lot of people, hasn't it? Which I I wonder if you, of course, I wonder in general if you, you know, could you have ever imagined. You know, back in 1969, driving the deuce, could you have ever imagined what the rest of your life was going to look like and, and be able to where you would be and what you would have done at 79 years old? I just I, I never would have thought I never would have dreamt anything like this could happen to my life. And it's just it happened with hard work, determination and trying to be a good person, I think. And I not saying I'm a good person, but I try to make believe I am. <laughs> you <laughs> so, are. You're a very good person. Um, and but, uh, it, Howard Purdy, again, you keep coming back, and I love that you're you're able to do that. You you tie everything back to those lessons that Howard taught you. Well, you you learn from these people, and they were such great mentors. And uh, you know, he worked at a, a Ford dealership, and then he ended up owning, I believe, two of them. And he had a, a Midas uh, camper place. It was called Midas Campers, and I bought a camper from him. And he had a Rust-Oleum or something business uh, where he Rust-Oleum cars. He had a just he was he was just such a brilliant man and a hard worker and you know just and a great man. Well, yeah. uh, it's it's certainly uh, anytime we lose one of you know I consider Howard, of course, the Deuce the is such an iconic car. I mean, one of the 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 pillars of the early days, the formulative days of the Oswego Speedway Super Modified Division. Uh, you know, but again, as you say, so many um, have have gone before us, and uh, we're just lucky to still be here kicking and, and doing what we do. But um, Bentley, I would love to do this again. Uh, if, if if you would be up for it, and and uh, I would love to be able to at some point once everything kind of gets to normal here, I'd love to be able to come up and visit the saloon and actually sit, and maybe we'll um, we'll have a camera set up and we can actually uh, do another edition of Inside Groove, just sitting and talking around the bar or a table at the saloon and and uh, recall some old stories and kind of check out the museum and see everything that's going on there. Sounds like a plan. Uh- Chuck Simpers came up about four or five years ago, he and his wife. And uh, I think the two of us won more races after we had about four or five Budweiser. Funny how that happens. We're sitting in the back row just BSing and and we just won, kept winning races like, wow. You know, I don't even remember running that race. <laughs> we talked about it did, but we won them. <laughs> and, our own, and our own theater in mind, we had a ball. It was just so much fun to see him and you know, talk old times again and all that stuff. So, you know, the saloon has brought a lot of camaraderie to my my life and other people's lives, and it's kind of neat. Well, Bentley, I am so grateful and thankful, and we're going to consider this part one with Bentley Warren. More to come as we uh, get down the road just a little bit, but I know that uh, you got a lot of stuff that you're doing out there in California, and certainly, um, you know, we wish you and Lisa safety and, and uh, enjoy in your travels and look forward to being able to come up and visit with you at the saloon. And uh, like I said, love to do a show from up there. Sounds like a plan. Thank you, Bentley. Appreciate that very much. That is Bentley Warren, and we'll have more with Bentley down the road. Don't you worry. Uh, And uh, we're going to step aside. When we come back, we'll have more of Inside Groove right after this. Stay with us. 
Everyone knows Strutmasters is the suspension experts for luxury vehicles, and now we offer motorcycle products. Introducing Easy Rider Complete Motorcycle Air Suspension brought to you by Strutmasters.com. You can raise and lower your bike with the flip of a switch. Take those long rides with the ultimate comfort of Easy Rider Air Shocks. They're backed by Strutmasters, and you won't believe the low price. Check out Easy Rider Motorcycle Air Suspension at Strutmasters.com. Is your job sucking the life out of you? Wake up. You can do something else. Information technology. I know what you're thinking, but I'm not a math or science person. No excuses. No problem. It's not rocket science. It's my computer career. Helping people start an IT career is their thing. If you don't absolutely love what you do, go to mycomputercareer.edu and take the free career evaluation today. You can start your new life as an information technology professional in as little as four months. Attend classes on campus or live online just two or three times a week to get what you'll need to start your new career. More than just a school, My Computer Career helps you get into the industry by working with hundreds of employers that hire their students. My Computer Career is nationally accredited and financial aid is available for those who qualify, including the GI Bill. Classes start soon, so go take the career evaluation now at mycomputercareer.edu. Mycomputercareer.edu. That's mycomputercareer.edu. Welcome back to Inside Groove. We hope that uh, you enjoyed that interview with uh, Bentley. I know I had an absolute blast doing it. It was interesting because I kind of went into it at first thinking that uh, we would go straight off the cuff and just be a couple of guys sitting around talking about Bentley's racing career and Howard Purdy and um, all of the various people that uh, we talked about, Jerry Kanoff and... um, uh, you know, Russ Conway and so forth. And I then I decided, well, at least I better have some uh, some names and, and some reference words bullet style in front of me. And I made up a nice bulleted list in kind of an order that I felt like we would go in. And, <laughs> and Bentley, Bentley kind of uh, fast forwarded through the order accidentally a couple of times. And it ended up being just two guys sitting around talking racing and having to sort of, but let's go back for a second. So that was, uh, that was kind of funny. We certainly jumped around more than I expected, but, uh, hopefully you didn't get lost in the translation there. And, um, just, uh, a real special time for me. And I, obviously I could have spent about a day and a half doing, uh, that interview with Bentley, but out of respect to uh, his time this weekend and things he had going today in California, I decided to uh, that I wanted to keep it to just an hour or so. But we will uh, have Bentley on again, and as you know, as you heard, I really would like to find a way to uh, get to Bentley's saloon um, and do some things from the uh, from the saloon. And so we'll shoot to make that happen this year at some point for sure. So, uh, again, thanks to Bentley and thanks to Lisa, too, for uh, his girlfriend for kind of putting all that together. She and I uh, had a uh, a time set up on Friday morning and, and something came up for Bentley that he needed to do. So, um, you know, she asked about Saturday morning and we were uh, I was happy, obviously, to. <laughs> to concede that <laughs> if it meant getting the interviews. So I uh, apologize that I had to do that to all of you. <laughs> so we'll be out Friday. No, wait, sorry. Um, we didn't uh, cancel it. We just rained it out. 
this was this is the rain date here basically uh so uh again uh that was that was a blast and it was a great time and and just uh i think bentley really hit on the fact that racing is about the people and for me that's really the the case as well and and i appreciate any time you can spend with good people uh you know and bentley is good people so you know just uh, a, a good time for sure okay so a couple of other things to get to before we close this show out here uh first of all um i'm sure by now some of you have seen this by the time this show actually uh posts and get shared <clears throat> excuse me get shared i'm sure some of you have seen this um on social media but uh, the may events at the oswego speedway have been canceled because uh new york governor cuomo um has put uh extended the social distancing um restrictions until at least may 15th so um it just was not going to be uh, ideal to try and get things started and of course you know we could get into may and then uh he extends it again and so uh i think officials uh wanted to just be proactive here and i I think it was a very wise decision so both the may 23rd season opening uh date of the jim champagne and tony white memorial specials uh and uh the jack murphy memorial featuring the isma supers and the sbs class both of those events uh postponed uh not canceled postponed uh, they're going to do all of all they can to get both of those events in at some point during the season. So uh, right now, unfortunately, it's just a waiting game. You know, you've got to wait until your state is opened up, and <laughs> then we can uh, can look at how we can make things happen. So uh, those events are still on the schedule. They're just not on the schedule in May. Uh, so they'll they'll work to see where they can fit them in um unfortunate but this is where we are so um it feels like we're we're getting to the other side of this i certainly hope that we are i know that uh, we have a lot of listeners for this show that are uh outside of new york um canada and other parts of the u.s and even outside of the country and uh but new york state where oswego speedway is uh the uh lockdown if you will uh is is extended to may the 15th and uh the season opener was scheduled for the 23rd and the isma tour opener scheduled for the 30th so rather than uh wait till the last minute uh track management decided just to be proactive and see if uh they took them off the schedule for may and see if they can fit them in at some point between june and september so that's really what uh what the plan is for the moment and it's it's a fluid situation it basically changes um you know as the social distancing the virus dictate right now we're all kind of a a slave to it still so uh that is news that just came out today um so there you have that, and I also wanted to touch on the, uh, we we started to talk at the beginning of the show about the number 41, because we've been doing, having a little fun with our episode numbers here, and 
trying to tax our brains to see who we could put in those cars, who who drove who who drove the 41 at the Oswego Speedway over the years. And I'll be honest with you, I, I'm a little short on this one. Um, I believe that Wayne McGuire, if I remember, I think he was a Kentucky driver, and I think he drove it. Um, and I want to put him somewhere back in the 60s, maybe, late 60s, early 70s. I'm not sure. Um, and I can recall that, uh, obviously, uh, Dean Hogue drove the 41 in the limited slash SVS class for Jim Paternoster a number of years ago. Um, but in terms of other 41s, the only I I'm I was trying to remember if either maybe a Tony Lavati car at some point, like around the time that uh, maybe Dave Schulick would have run for him um, or perhaps uh I guess Jim Mayfield was 58, not 41. So um, I I don't know where who else I would put in a 41 car. So if any of you know of any other drivers for the 41, please put it in the comment box, uh, wherever you're getting the show from, um, on the Inside Groove Facebook page or one of the group pages we share it in. Stick it in the comment box and uh, let's fill that up if we've got others that we missed. So uh, I feel like, the, oh, Harry Murphy, too, I just thought about. Harry was, he bought the, uh, I think he might have bought Mike Schoberlein's last car, perhaps, uh, and ran it as the 41. I think Harry did, I think Harry was the last 41 that we had. Uh, but anyways, help out. <laughs> we I love doing this because it's fun for me. Um, and if, in uh, a couple of times, we've had, you know, I've had people that have commented on uh, folks that I forgot, and that's always neat because it just anything to get discussion going. We're all just uh, we're bored out of our minds here, right? So uh, um, anything that we can do to get some discussion going and uh, talk supers and talk racing is a good thing. So um, definitely, before we close the show here, uh, want to once again our condolences to Howard Purdy's family and his loved ones, and also uh, Jerry uh, Kanoff as well, and his uh, his family and loved ones as well. Um, and uh, again, uh, two car owners that uh, played uh, a major role in the late 60s, mid to late 60s, early 70s, and uh, in Howard's case anyway, went into, I think, 70, what, 74? Four seventy-five, maybe um with jimmy winks 74 i think it was was uh his last uh season in the deuce and i think jimmy was the last one to drive it um but uh again uh two you know two car owners who had such an impact and uh you know gave a lot of time and money and um sweat and tears to super modified racing so we certainly uh We'll be thinking of them, and, and of course, uh, their time will live on. Their legend will live on through the um, through the legend of their cars, right? We'll, we'll never forget the little deuce, uh, the 21 that uh, Jerry owned with Bentley and uh, several other drivers that drove that car in that span of time. Uh, you know, we, uh, we will be thinking of them uh, and their families uh, in their in the coming weeks and always so um, we wish them the best and also uh, want to take a moment to uh, just say thank you 
to all of our sponsors one more time. Jeff West and IPC Indy. It's Indy Performance Composites, ipcindy.com. Thank you to Jeff for everything that uh, he is doing for this show and for Super Modified Racing in general. Thank you to um, Sean Cathcart and the staff at Skips Fish Fry. And don't forget, coming up on the 26th, which is one week from tomorrow as we record this, we're going to record it and put it out on the 18th. So uh, uh, eight days from now is the uh, the big super modified race online and uh, uh, a pretty heavy list of drivers in that show uh that should be this should be a lot of fun i mean we've got some some folks who aren't who who don't do the real game so to speak but they uh they do the sim game or the video game uh and then we've got some drivers from the current and former super modified uh status that um are going to be participating as well and i know that uh uh, some pretty big names from the past going to be in this show. There's one that I'd love to announce, but I haven't been given permission to do that, so I'm not going to. Um, but uh, I'm sure you'll be hearing it in the coming days on uh, social media. So, uh, and I know Doug Heveron is going to be a part of it too. Uh, and that should be a lot of fun. So uh, look forward to catching that. That's going to be on asphaltvision.tv. So go to Asphalt Vision's uh website or facebook page and um you'll be able to catch that next uh sunday night um and again uh that should be a lot of fun and i love this trend of having all of this sim racing it's created some pretty hilarious moments uh from various tracks and series and of course the national stuff uh has <laughs> we've had some humorous moments and we've had some oops moments nationally with regard to the um the sim stuff but uh that's uh that is fodder for other shows uh i would just caution drivers to remember if you've got sponsors uh that you know you could be heard anything you say or anything that you that you do is always subject to scrutiny so please use your head folks um but uh, thanks for listening to the show uh we hope that you enjoyed this with bentley um, and we're working on another special guest for Wednesday uh, and someone else that hopefully will be able to talk a little bit about uh, Howard so that we're not um, we're not shortchanging you here. This show was a little late because it needed to be. But uh, Wednesday night is the normal night and we will have episode 42 this coming Wednesday night. So um, until then, I'm going to sign off so I can put this show together and actually let you hear the interview. Uh, thanks, everybody, for listening. Please share this out. Bentley was obviously a huge uh, part of this sport in a number of different uh, areas and divisions. So we want as many people to um, be able to check this out as we can. So please, everybody, take it and share it and let everybody know that it's there. And again, I appreciate all of you checking us out every week. Have a great rest of your weekend. Until Wednesday, I'm Tom Baker. Thank you for listening to Inside Groove. So long. You've been listening to Inside Groove, powered by IPC Indy, creating performance parts and solutions for the automotive, aerospace, and communications industries. Find them on the web at www.ipcindy.com. Inside Groove is a Race Chaser Media production. For more exciting and passionate motorsport content, follow Race Chaser Media on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube, and visit racechasermedia.com.
The opinions expressed by our guests are their own and do not necessarily reflect those of the staff, management, affiliates, or marketing partners of Race Chaser Media. No part of this show may be reproduced in any manner without the expressed written consent of Race Chaser Media. Thank you for listening.